I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week, we look at Japan, still the world's third largest economy, but also an economy that's been stagnating and idling for some 20 years. Now, a new government led by Shinzo Abe has come to power, pledged to take dramatic steps to turn the situation around. As you'll hear, the potential rewards associated with this policy are high, but so are the risks, and not just for Japan, for the whole world economy. Joining me to discuss the implications of Abenomics are Martin Wolf, the FT's chief economics commentator, and on the line from Tokyo, Jonathan Sobel, our correspondent there. Martin, the goal apparently is to get inflation up to 2%, which doesn't sound very dramatic. So why is it such a big deal? Well, because they failed to achieve anything like this now, really since uh, the 1990s. Somewhere in the middle of the 90s, Japan fell into a sort of mild deflation. On average, prices have fallen about 1% a year. It's been remarkably stable, actually something that economists didn't think was really possible. I can't think of any other precedent. It's deeply embedded. It's uh, clearly embedded in bond yields and uh, in the expectations, uh, certainly in the market. And uh, the Bank of Japan has consistently said that there are no policy instruments, or certainly none that they want to use, because they might be so uh, exotic and extreme, which can actually shift this. And now the government is coming along and has appointed a new governor of the Bank of Japan, who's a well-known critic of the BOJ, a former Minister of Finance official, with the instruction to change this, to do whatever it takes, uh, to remind ourselves of the phrase that Mario Draghi used in the eurozone to shift uh, inflation by what's i suppose about three percent a year he says he can do it in two years and it will be really quite a big change but why is it so important i mean as you say they've been going along if not happily not totally unhappily for 20 years why have they decided they've got to do it now this is a very interesting question why uh, shinzo abe believes it's so important i think the good argument is that because of deflation because interest rates can't go below zero and short rates are at zero long rates are about 0.7 percent unbelievably low they're sort of stuck there and they've got positive real interest rates and with positive real interest rates people continue to hold cash they're willing to be very conservative in their investment behavior both people and corporations they are willing to lend to the government which is offering them positive real returns even if very low ones and the government for the same reason therefore receiving all this money finds itself running these persistent fiscal deficits and slowly but surely the japanese are building a huge mountain of japanese government bonds which they think in the end won't be sustainable. So that has to shift. And the only way to do that is to get negative real interest rates, change expectations. And that can only be done by having higher inflation. I think that's what they think. But it has to be said, they haven't been completely clear about why they think it's so important. So Jonathan, what do you think's going on? And do you think the Japanese people are prepared for a bout of inflation? Now, are they, are they up for that? 
I think what they're prepared for is ending deflation. That's the mantra that has become widely accepted in Japan across the political spectrum, really. But I don't think it's quite sunk in yet what that means in practice, because, of course, the flip side of not having deflation, which has become really a kind of catch-all word in Japan for a stagnant economy, stagnant wages, and so forth. You know, the, the, the flip side is, is, of course, having prices go up. And no one's seen that in about a generation. And when it actually does happen, Happen, I think uh, it is going to come as, as a shock. Now, what, uh, what the government is talking about is, of course, not just pushing prices up, but to have sustainable inflation, which is, you know, an, essentially inflation as a, you know, as a reflection of, of a more generally healthy economy, of growth, of a return to spending and risk-taking. But the specter of bad inflation, where prices rise, but wages don't, uh, and nothing else changes, is one risk factor. And I think it's possible that that will happen first before wages follow if they do. And really, it'll be the reaction of the Japanese public to the first increase in prices. And, and the media is now on the lookout and hunting for, the, for that. Uh, that will determine, in a sense, you know, Abe's mandate to continue with the program. And presumably, Jonathan, there must be winners and losers, because Martin alluded to this huge mountain of debt that the Japanese are building up. The holders of the debt are largely domestic. If there's inflation, in a sense, are they inflating the debt away? And will holders of debt uh, like this, will they perhaps even start refusing to buy Japanese debt? Well, that would be the bad scenario under which the growth expectations aren't there, but all we really see is inflating the debt away and, and people you know, flee from the debt or even flee from the yen as a, as a currency. More generally, within Japanese society, I think what we'll, we'll see is if this actually works uh, is a generational shift in a sense, because it's, it's the elderly um, who are the biggest savers in Japan. And of course, uh, they have the, the investments, the very conservative investments, and they also have very little incentive to spend. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, part of a, a general fact around the world that spenders are in the younger generation, but now the assets are kind of trapped in the older generation. And it's quite an explicit target, one of several of, of Abenomics, to try and essentially shift wealth out of the kind of financially conservative older generation and into the hands of younger people who might actually spend this money and get the economy moving again. Martin, you, you uh, said that achieving this goal might involve quite dramatic and unorthodox policies. What kind of thing are we talking about? Are we, to use the colloquial terms, in the realms of printing money? Yes, uh, without a doubt. Uh, and indeed, that's already clear from the statements we've heard from the incoming governor. Uh, of course, in some sense, the Japanese have, quote unquote, it's a bit difficult to to define this term exactly been printing money i mean they started quantitative easing but just in quite a small way and they haven't used it to make unbacked money purchases of government bonds used to finance directly the deficit they've been very resistant to direct monetization of the fiscal deficits it's all been very indirect very incomplete i would say yes i think we could imagine quite aggressive policies uh 
huge increases in the purchases of Japanese government bonds, possibly direct unbacked monetary financing, that is to say, without any purchase of Japanese government bonds, just simply creating the money that the government needs, sort of helicopter money, it's now been called, a phrase first used by, I think, by Milton Friedman. They could use the money quite clearly to buy foreign assets, to drive down the yen very explicitly. The Japanese government is the only developed country government that has purchased a lot of uh, foreign currency assets in the relatively recent past. They could do that again. They could, uh, if they wanted to, directly fund companies. I mean, there's sort of no limit. I have no idea which of these things they will do, but I would expect a very substantial increase in the quantitative easing they're already doing and quite possibly a much more aggressive cooperation with the government to finance the larger deficit without actually issuing Japanese government bonds at all. We're going to see, I think, the Bank of Japan become probably the most radical of the central banks because if you're going to shift expectations, which, as Jonathan pointed out, are so entrenched of deflation to expecting proper inflation, I think they're probably going to have to do quite a lot. Obviously, uh, Japan is a huge economy. So what are the implications for the rest of the world if you suddenly have the Japanese central bank behaving in this highly unorthodox way? Well, there are two ways in which conceivably, it seems to me, it could be relatively immediate uh, effects. Uh, If the Japanese currency is going to fall, which seems very plausible, it becomes an unbelievably attractive funding a vehicle for what can be called carry trades. I mean, that is to say, all sorts of our speculators in the world can say, let's borrow Japanese yen. We know they're going to, it's going to go down. And let's buy any other bond in the world. They're all yielding more than we will have to pay, which will be close to zero, or not much more than zero. It's an absolutely guaranteed profit. So we could see an enormous flood of money out of Japan into all these other assets, driving up New Zealand bonds and Australian bonds, and who knows what, US... Of course, less effective because it's so much bigger, but still but still effective. And in the process, we could see the yen fall much more than we can imagine. The yen might actually really collapse, gives enormous boost to Japanese exporters. And I think the Japanese government will be very happy with that outcome. But there's no doubt that people around the world, and starting with the Chinese, but lots of others, will start talking about beggar my neighbor policies. So these two consequences, financial and foreign exchange related, are potentially really big really big and we don't know how that will play out jonathan do you think the abe government is aware of the global implications of what it's doing and and does it care well the administration has been in place for a little over two months now and it's taken a while for them to stop talking explicitly about the yen i I think you know it's 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 sort of an etiquette issue in in a sense among global governments that you don't outright say you're driving down your currency but it's pretty clear that they are and during the election campaign Uh, in November and December, I mean, it was there in black and white as part of their platform. We will escape from deflation and escape from the strong yen. We will drive the currency down. Since they've gotten into power, it's become more difficult to actually say those kind of things because you get a bad reaction from trading partners. You get a bad reaction from countries that are worried about the exact sort of thing that that Martin was talking about, which is an inflow of of hot money. I mean, places like Brazil, for example, are are worried about that. Um, I think, you know, they've essentially chosen to uh, favor the domestic economy, favor what they see as Japan's needs over what their partners might say. And and they do have uh, fairly broad support from some places, including the U.S., which is important. I think that that, uh, U.S. officials have decided that as long as the Japanese don't explicitly mention the yen, uh, which 
gets uh, American manufacturers angry, that they're going to basically stand back and, and watch this because they have essentially the same attitude that the Japanese do, which is, well, you know, a, a weekend may make manufacturers elsewhere, exporters elsewhere nervous, but, uh, you know, a a sick Japanese economy, a Japanese economy that stays uh, in the doldrums for another 20 years uh, is not good for the for the global economy either. So they would rather see an energized Japanese economy, uh, even at the cost of, of a weaker yen. Of course, if there's if there's a collapse, if there's chaos, then then that's a different story. But the kind of controlled scenario that uh, Abenomics is designed to achieve, I think it, it's seen in, in many places, including Washington, as a kind of net positive. So, Martin, if I could conclude with you, I mean, we've heard that there are risks and and potential rewards. Um, Outline for us what the risks are and and just give us an opinion. You're an opinion columnist. Do you think they're doing the right thing? Do you basically approve what they're up to? I should add, by the way, to what Jonathan's just said, that I think the Americans also feel that having a healthy Japan is geopolitically important. Mm. It's It's an important ally. The risks... Well, the risks, in a way, go in two directions. One is that they actually, in the end, are doing too little. And it's quite, there's already quite a lot of views that, in the end, when Mr. Kuroda and his colleagues look at the scale of what they'll have to do, they will be timid, like their predecessors, and actually nothing much will change. And the deflation may be stopped for briefly, but basically it's so deeply ingrained in this very weak economy, and there's such structural reasons for it, that nothing will change, and Japan will fade away. Yeah, but at some point, nobody knows, a huge fiscal crisis will emerge. So that's one risk. The other risk is that they can't fine-tune this because I've described it as like pulling a brick with an elastic band. You pull and pull. First, nothing will happen. Nothing will change in the economy. And then suddenly it's too much. The yen may collapse. That might happen relatively soon. Japanese citizens may say, this is serious inflation they're talking about. Not just 2%. Who knows where it'll end up? Let's sell yen. Let's go and buy something else, which at least gives us a decent yield. So there's a shift of expectations driving the yen God knows where possibly overshooting massively on inflation ultimately after some while but in the short run that will be hugely destabilizing there will be huge complaints from countries around the world if the end collapse in the longer run well it might become really serious inflation that's the risk and then the japanese government would have to support a rapid tightening of monetary policy interest rates would soar and the japanese government's debt management problems become insuperable Furthermore, in that scenario, JGB, Japanese government bond interest rates would explode upwards. The the value would collapse. Most of the banks would be bankrupt. It would be a really big mess. So this is one of those cases when doing too little is very bad. Doing too much is very bad. Managing expectations well so that you shift them without overshooting it, which is what I was sort of addressing most recently in my column. How do you do this? It's really going to be quite hard because it's so entrenched and they're going to have to do a lot, but it mustn't overshoot. And I think the risks exist quite clearly on both sides. And yet with all those risks, you're still basically in favour. I basically think there is a case for leaving things as they are. They could probably continue like this for another 10 or 20 years before the debt problem became unmanageable. But it'd be very bad for Japan. Um, Ultimately, it would become irrelevant. And in the long run, I think the Japanese government debt problem will be insuperable. So for Japan, I have no doubt they're right to try this. As long as they do other things, it's not just about inflation. There are other things they have to do. I think they're right to try, but we have to understand this is quite a risky and potentially very destabilizing development in the world economy. 
Martin Wolf, thank you very much indeed. And thanks also to Jonathan Sobel in Tokyo. Thanks to Martin Starber here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.